0: My favorite Sunday out of the year. This is Mission Sunday. We have got a treat for you today. My heart, I just ache missions. It's what I think about. It's what I pray about every day. And God has raised this church up. Uh, Let let me help you with something in case you didn't know this. The Bible does not say God so loved America that he gave his son. God so loved the world. We think America by nature, God thinks globe, global family. And uh, I love what we're doing in missions. I want you to meet some of our mission partners that we partner with here. Uh, perhaps you don't know this. so I'm here to make this available to you. We partner with missions big time here. 30, the first 30% of every dollar that comes in here goes right back out around the world to missions. We're on track, hopefully within three years, we will reach a point to where 50%. Half of what comes in here goes back out to support what God's doing in the earth. Here's the reason why. Let this, let this seep in right here, what I'm fixing to say. 90% of all the wealth that God's family owns is in 5% of the people's hands. Guess which country? Right here. 5% of his people have hold of 90% of his wealth and give less than 5% to the other 90% of his family. So I can't, I can't do anything about anybody else, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord overseas and love them and bless them. You're going to be some of the greatest people. Three major partners we've been with for years. Number one, my dear friends, James and Betty Robinson, Life Outreach, Fort Worth, Texas, that preach the gospel around the globe, mission feeding, the one that's so dear to my heart, Water for Life. What is the number one killer of children in the world? Dirty water. Far more than famine, far more than uh, war, anything. Dirty water kills more children. Than anything in there, and the tragedy is, it's right there, it's right under their feet. They just can't get to it. And so we partner to drill. Our church drills water wells throughout Sub-Saharan Africa in villages, build heavy-duty wells that last for fifty years in a village that averages a hundred people, and has saved thousands of children's lives. Show them the picture there of our wells,
1: boys. Water is essential for life. Yet nearly a billion people lack access to clean, uncontaminated water. Instead, they're often forced to make the difficult decision between drinking polluted deadly water or drinking no water at all. Children under five are especially impacted by this crisis as 1.5 million die each year as the result of the diseases that come from drinking contaminated water. That's one child every 20 seconds. Water for life seeks to be an answer to these daily battles by providing clean, uncontaminated water to people worldwide. Through the efforts of Water for Life, over 3,400 wells have been drilled worldwide, with each well providing fresh, clean, disease-free water for an average of 1,000 people. These wells have stopped the spread of waterborne disease and helped to save countless lives. They have brought water to those in need and in the process have turned communities from villages of death into oasis of life. Is that
0: exciting? Can y'all hear that? Can y'all hear okay out there? All right. Let me tell you something about Black Lives Mattering. This church has saved more black lives through just the Water for Life program than any entity in this county because black lives matter all over the globe. And we love those folks. Love those kids. One of my favorites. Now, my favorite one personally, this is my favorite. We partner with Life Outreach for a ministry called Rescue Life. I believe the greatest evil in the world is sex slavery. 13, 14-year-old girls captured by some of the most evil men taken out of their country and forced to work in brothels as sex slaves. And we uh, sponsor a ministry called uh, Rescue Life. I don't know the other way to say it. We have redneck missionaries who go in these brothels, capture these girls back, take them to a safe compound that we built, Ladies in there love them, care for them. They live there, educate them. We uh, teach, them, teach them a trade. Usually it's sewing, buy them a sewing machine, buy them material to get started. They're healed. They find Jesus. They find people that love them. They have a way to make a living, support themselves. And I, obviously we can't show you pictures of that, but that's what we're partnering with, with. That's my personal favorite. When I get up, when, when y'all fire me, like Hank Jr., me and my trusty 45 are going to Southeast Asia and I'm going to rescue them girls from that mess down there. All right. So I just love what we're doing here. Now, let me ask you a question. If that were your daughter, what would you want somebody doing? Go get them. If that were your child dying, drinking out of the same water that a cow's crapping in, what would you want somebody doing? And we're, we're so blessed to get to be a part of this. Number two, my dear friend and partner in crime from Boone, North Carolina, Franklin Graham, Samaritan's Purse. We've been with them for years and years. Franklin's my buddy. I love what they're doing around the world. Medical missions, feeding, preaching the gospel. Uh, just tremendous things. Uh, show them my uh, clip there, Samaritan's Purse, guys. God ...called us to go into the world and to care for the dying, to care for those that are suffering. It's just what we do.
2: So many houses are collapsed. People are economically weak.
3: It felt like a freight train, honestly. It really did. You just felt the shaking. You felt the eeriness. When things like this happen, we have to come together.
0: We have to help each other.
2: Our marriage was, it was, it was broken. We were at, at the point of no return. The pain was just growing stronger, and I felt like I was getting weaker by the day.
0: It's a dire situation. There is a great need for outside help to fill this gap for medical needs.
3: I was at my lowest point, feeling unloved, and God brought in shoeboxes and gave me hope.
0: We run to the fire. We don't run away from it. We're on a rescue mission, and we go in Jesus' name. What a joy to partner with them, and I love those guys. Dearly, let me introduce you to one more. Uh, Years ago, we had a men's conference at our church. It was at the other campus. We invited a man named Frank Harrison to come speak. Frank is the chairman of Coca-Cola, and Frank agreed to come. He loves men. He's a godly man. Uh, I went over to the auditorium early just to check on something, and he'd gotten there early. He was walking around in the auditorium picking up trash and just cleaning up. And I heard him speak, and we became friends. Frank, uh, he he bottles that sugar water in America to send living water overseas. He oversees the ministry personally called with open eyes. We began to partner with him years ago. Frank goes where nobody else wants to go. He said, send me to the hell holes of the earth, the Sudan, Somalia, those very difficult places. He goes there to care for people, uh, plants churches, trains preachers, provides them motorcycles. He called me a few weeks ago and he said, uh, I'm gonna come get you. You got the airport beside you, I'll pick you up. We'll fly to Costa Rica, we'll sail fish. I'll bring you right back home. And I said, Frank, I'm a cat fisherman. I don't do that uppity stuff. I said, just take the money he's gonna spend on jet fuel and buy me some more motorcycles for them boys in Somalia. They need to ride more than I need to fish. And we've been able to partner with them, tremendous ministry over there. I want you to meet, listen, y'all need to meet Frank. This is a man who could have lived in absolute luxury, but his heart is overseas to help people. Show him a flip there, clip there of uh, Frank.
2: No matter where you live, we are all in search for something. We long for brighter days and sweeter moments. Our hearts search for something no amount of food, clothing, or income can provide. We long for our tears of mourning to become joyful dancing. Our raging battles to become peaceful gatherings and our struggles to become our hope. We long for the miraculous and the powerful and that is only something Jesus can provide. But outside of this room, there are over 7.6 billion people and over two billion of them are still waiting to hear the name of Jesus. They live in the distant farmlands of West Africa, the war-torn bush of East Africa, and the overcrowded streets of India. They are moms and dads, brothers and daughters living in heartache, striving for survival, unaware that the things they long for are found in the love of Christ. They haven't rejected Jesus. They've just never heard of him.
0: This uh, ministry got its start there in Louis, Sudan when my son James got a call from the folks at Samaritan's Purse. It was toward the tail end of the Civil War there with the North and he really just fell in love with the people, with the difficulty, with the war, with the trouble. And James began calling me and others just saying, Dad, we've got to help these people. It's incredible what's happening here, the persecution, the genocide and all the trouble.
2: When James came to visit Africa, God broke his heart for the people living in the most remote and difficult villages. He wanted to tell them what they longed to hear.
4: Spread the love of Christ, give people hope, just let them know we're in this with them and we're willing to do all we can do.
2: Today, With Open Eyes comes alongside local pastors in places like refugee camps and forgotten villages spread across 22 nations. We provide pastors with a year of training, transportation and care, so they can start vibrant and healthy churches.
0: The main vision of With Open Eyes is focusing on Great Commission, sending people out to reach unreached. I am on that mission every day.
2: But this is so much bigger than training and transportation. It's about you and I being a part of the great story he is telling. It's about praying and giving our lives so every heart and every village, tribe and tongue hear the words they long for. Jesus loves you.
0: tremendous ministry what he didn't tell in that video his son uh, 24 years old his son would have inherited Coca-Cola and he could have sat over here and jet it, but he chose to go live in the bush and lay down his life. He contracted a tropical disease and died in just a few days. And, of course, Frank carries on that ministry. It's a tremendous ministry, and we get to partner with them big time to train pastors, provide for the people there, and do wonderful work. And here's the deal. God has blessed. I prayed for years, partner our church with just the right people. Hook us up with the right people that are really being used of you to do things. And we've been so blessed to do that. Let me tell you about, I'm going to show you one in a minute. It's 25 years ago plus, I was asked to go see a prisoner at the state high-rise penitentiary in Salisbury. I went and met a man who had a lengthy, lengthy sentence for a long time there for his crimes. And just fell in love with him. We began a friendship that day. He was converted. He was discipled in prison. Through a miracle of God, he was released early from prison. And he is now our pastor at the Lamb's Chapel in Vietnam. And just doing a tremendous work there. Of course, it's a communist government. They hate Christianity. They shut the church down, but I think it's flourishing better since the government shut the building down. But Gene Ministers, there he goes in the public schools, and he teaches, and they said, Well, you'll have to bring your own textbook. Guess which book he takes. (laughs) He teaches them English from the Bible. And it's just a tremendous ministry he's got there. And one of the ministries there, that, we live such cush lives in this nation. But in so many pathetic countries, there is no social safety net. There's nothing. And, of course, in this country, it's very poor. If you don't have food, you just lay down on the street and die. There, there, nobody helps you. And, of course, some of the situations. One of the ministry he's been in, he just sent me some pictures this past week. So I'm going to show them to you. One of the ministers they've been involved in is to go in and help people that are suffering, don't have any shelter. It's people just out in the rain, no shelter. They just live like that. And this is a, that's a home. That's a family's home right there. And that's what they're living in. Uh, there's some disabilities there, so they're not able to do any better. That's their home. Well, Gene went in, and we've been rebuilding, finding folks like this and building homes. Well, show them a picture of their home now. That's their new home right there. They were able to provide. Now... And it's about that home right there. I forget how many we've done this year. Those homes cost about $5,000 U.S. dollars to build. And it's a wonderful place. Gene is in the black shirt. That's his sweetheart home there. And the white shirt, they're doing a wonderful job there. And we love them dearly. All right, let me, by the way, that's, that home also is being, the only way out of poverty there is education. But you can't get it. You have to pay for it. So that home's being used as a school for children in the area. And that's them doing their school. Show. I've got one of the kids waving up there. Show me your next picture there of the young Well, never mind. That'd be that's good right there. All right. I've got a message for you all the way from Vietnam from these children. Put their little message up there, guys. You can you, can you say? <laughs>
3: in
0: case you don't uh, in case you don't speak Vietnamese slash English. Thank you, Mr. Gene. Thank you, Lamb's Chapel. And as you've done it to the least of these. Oh, by the way, let me tell you another story. Gene is older than I am. He and his sweetheart met a young lady one day. She was pregnant. She could not afford a child. She was going to have it aborted. They said, if you'll have the baby, we'll take it. We'll adopt it. They now have a son. Y'all got got a picture of his son. Put that up there. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a hoot or what? 65 years old with a four-year-old son. Life is good over there is what I'm telling you. God has blessed us to partner with some of the greatest people around the world that we support, love, and care for. Of course, my daughter in the faith, Jennifer of the jungle, is here. She was finishing her Ph.D. at NC State. God said, get up now and go. She goes through the Amazon, up and down the Amazon River in South America, planting churches. If you're adventurous and you're tough enough, come see her. She'll take you on a trip down there if you don't mind big snakes and all over the world God is doing great things and we want to be a part of that because one of these days Jesus is coming back and when he gets back only one thing will matter and that is who is in and who is out and there are so many people that have never even heard the name of Jesus and that's what we want to be about all righty one of the great partners well, i want to introduce you to somebody our partners in a country, I can't tell you where they're at, they're, for security reasons, because this is on the Internet, Southeast Asia. I can't tell you their last names. But Chris and Lauren are here with us this morning. One of the finest young couples, and they're doing a tremendous work in a nation that is, is hostile to Jesus, to the gospel. And, I mean, they're they're digging where it's very difficult. And we're very blessed to partner with them. They love these guys dearly. And I've got a chance. They're to be in the States for a little bit. I said, swing by. I want folks to meet you. And these are our missionaries in that part of the world over there. One of the most beautiful countries. It is, let me tell you about this place. It is the, it's where God's going to call me if I go into missions. Because above all else, it is the number one fishing spot in the world. (laughs) Greatest fishing in the world is in this country. If you like the beach, there is more beachfront in this nation than any nation in the world. And that's where I belong, right there on the equator, fishing. For men. Fishing for men. All (laughs) right. Come on, guys. Love to have you here. Y'all make Chris and Lauren welcome.
3: Thank you. Good morning. Uh, We are Chris and Lauren, and this is a picture of our girls, uh, Lily, Ava, and Ella. They are six, four, and one. And um, we just want to take a chance this morning to tell you thank you. We have been on this journey overseas for almost eight years and Lamb's Chapel has been with us from day one. You all have been a church that has supported us generously financially and through prayer and Pastor Brian and Sean have been people that have very personally and in love and in care stayed with us and connected with us and emailed us and we just very much sense that you are a church like Brian says that loves Jesus and loves to be a part of what he is doing all over the world and so we just want to take a minute to be able to say thank you, and we pray and hope that you are encouraged at what you hear today, because God is at work, and there are some hard things going on in the world right now, but God is at work, and he is doing great things, and we are thankful to be a part of that, and we hope that you are grateful as well for the ways that God is using you to be a part of that, and we want to take a minute and share why we are doing what we're doing. We're going to dig in a little bit and give you some more stories and the what of what we're doing. We want to share why, because we think that's important and we were asked in 2011 by a couple who'd been living overseas for 20 years for us to consider going overseas long-term. And after our jaws dropped, and we thought that this was not the conversation that we were planning on having with them, It caused us to ask God some really hard questions and to look at scripture in some very real ways as we wanted to say, God, is this what you would have for us in light of the Great Commission and in light of your heart for the nation sprinkled all throughout scripture that you will not come back until every tribe and tongue and people and nation have heard. And so we went overseas, we visited this country, it's the most populous Muslim nation in the world. And for the first time, statistics that we had seen on paper Began to be very real and true as we saw these people that had no access to know about who Jesus was, even if they wanted to. And there are hundreds of unreached people groups in this country. And we heard things like the fact that there is one missionary for every 500,000 Muslims globally, and that is not enough. Scripture says, How then will they know if people have not been sent and go? And so we just believed that God was wanting more workers in the harvest field as Jesus prayed. So we started to ask God, and we said, Is there any reason that you would not have us to go? And it was very clear that there would not be a good reason for us to not go and be a part of what God is doing. And so that's where we are and why we are doing it, because we believe that these people deserve to hear about the love of Jesus, and that is his heart throughout Scripture, and so we want it to be ours as well.
4: Yeah, and the way that we see that um, playing out is in uh, kind of four basic uh, tenets. This is kind of how we focus what we're doing. Um, It's been three years since we stood up in front of you guys uh, and got to share um, what God's doing. Um, The last time we were home was three years ago. Um, Our world and our country and everywhere is a different place. Um, Some change has been interesting, some has not been good, and some has been very good. We've been excited to see that this um, vision that God has said he will complete, um, we're seeing bits of that uh, take place. So this first piece, this campus, the, the vision is that um, we work alongside uh, national colleagues in the country we serve in to um, disciple and mobilize college students um, that are background Christian, they're, they're grow, grew up Christian, but they have no concept or knowledge that the next island over or the next city over, there are entire people groups that won't ever hear about Jesus. Um, and so through their college experience, we try to train them, disciple them. And that's a big part of what we do. We give them um, some tools and how to do that. And you'll hear more about that in a little, uh, a little later. Um, and as they go through that process, then they just get to see, hey, you know what? This is something that I think God is exciting my heart. And of those that are at college that go through this discipleship program, some of those will say, you know what? I need to be going. And so this national group that we work with is sending college students out in their field of study, in their profession, to go to some of the areas that um, are hard places. They're geographically hard to get to. They're culturally resistant and challenging. And they're going in there and they're saying, I'm going to live and work and be a light and be the gospel. And so um, in that piece of equipping and training and and sending, then the other piece that we do is We've seen that happen and we've um, been blessed to be able to go um, to some of these places where they've been sent and equip and care for and encourage um, and, and coach alongside of these goers that have been sent out. So that's another big part of what we, what we do. Um, the fourth box here uh, is just our, our Visa platform. Um, I teach at that university that we, uh, that we are discipling students at. I teach at the engineering department and the computer science um, faculty. And um, that's how we're able to, to live in this country and get access to students and, and do what we're doing. Um,
3: so a really exciting piece is that from our beginning time there in 2012 until uh, 2017, Is that there was just a lot of laying the groundwork um, of beginning this ministry, starting to find students, train them up, cast vision for God's heart, and then as you see here from 2017 to 2020, these are the names of students that we have, by God's grace, sent out to be workers among the harvest field. So these are the local people. that are believers and they grew up in a Christian home, but they have now caught the vision for God's heart for the nations and for the Great Commission. They have been sent out to live and work amongst unreached people groups, amongst their own people. And so they have sacrificed nicer jobs and salaries and living near their family. And they have chosen to go to these places to pursue church planting movements and disciple-making movements amongst unreached people groups. And so it's been a privilege to watch that and to be a part of that and to get to walk alongside. And for us, these aren't just names on a page. These are people that we have walked and done life with as we have prepared them and coached them um, to, to be goers in these places, and so we're set up now for this structure, as we hope and pray for this to continue over the coming years, that dozens and hundreds even would get sent out and go to these places, as there are still about 68 unreached people groups in the eastern part of where we are.
4: Yeah, and just in the spirit of being so grateful for Lamb's Chapel, um, four years ago, and then again last year, Lamb's Chapel funded uh, a retreat, a conference for all those that have been sent out. Um, and if you look at this top picture here, um, that was last May. Um, you guys uh, in this church body allowed that to happen, to bring these people from these far-flung islands and areas and pull them into one spot, have encouragement, worship, additional training. Most of these people are places where there's no church. They're out there. They're they um encouragement that they get from being in, uh, together is, um, so rich and deep when we can gather. And so you guys, um, played a big, a big, uh, part in facilitating that retreat happening. So a big thank you to you as well. Um, as Lauren just said, some of these things that the vision that we've been pressing for and driving for, um, that circles the whole Eastern part of our country, um, as these goers are sent out in the previous years, we track at the end of every year, we get reports back from how things are going. In um, previous years, you know, you start slow and, and you see, okay, we, we didn't have any baptisms this year. We didn't have any of so this, we did a lot of sharing, but um, at the end of last year, um, beginning to see some of those things take hold and move forward. We saw 10 baptisms last year and we saw four first-generation house churches planted. Um, And at the end of 2019, there were 32 groups of Muslims that were actively and regularly meeting to read God's word and search for truth. Um, And those are the things that the gospel, that's right, the gospel is being pronounced through this vision that God has told us clearly he's going to accomplish. And that's exciting.
3: And so one specific story, just to give you a face to go with those names. Um, There's a picture here of me with a girl um, who I've had the privilege of getting to disciple over the last few years during her years in college. So she came to one of our trainings, learned about God's heart for the nations, and said, I have to do this. I need to go. I want to be a part of this and, and live amongst an unreached people group to pursue seeing movements of house churches planted there. And so I was able to walk through that process with her. She was just about to finish her medical school to become a doctor. And at that time that we began the process of preparing to go, she just pulled back in fear and in concern and wanting to live near her family and have a nicer job and worry about her salary and, and be concerned about the safety even of this unreached people group. And she just said, I'm not I don't think this is for me. I think maybe I heard God's calling wrong. And it was this devastating moment for me where I had poured into this girl and I saw what God was doing in her life and I felt like perhaps the enemy was just pulling her out. But I just felt very clearly that God said, You need to fight for her and fight for my calling in her life because her story is not over here. And so I prayed for her and I asked her to live with us for two weeks so that we could just pray together and look at scripture and walk through this and hear from the Lord together. And she said no to that. And so again, I just felt like the Lord said, I'm not done yet. Keep pressing into her. And so I asked her again, if she would consider that. And then finally she said, I'll live with you for two weeks and we'll just see what happens. And over that time, we just had this sweet time together of hanging out and playing with the kids and having meals together. But then every night just talking and praying and looking at Scripture. And I saw every night her heart softened towards what God was calling her to. And at the end, she said, it's very clear to me that God wants me to go and whatever the cost, I need to obey him. And so we got to just celebrate with her and... And over the last few months now, I've had the chance to just coach her every two weeks. We meet on FaceTime and I get to walk through with her these early stages of what it is for her to live in this area, be a doctor, and use it as her platform to reach out. And uh, it's just a privilege. And so we're praying that God would move in great ways in this area. And so these are just a few stories and you'll hear more in a bit from Chris as he gets to share. But we wanna say thank you because you're a part of that and God is using you in great ways. So thank you.
4: Yeah, um, as I called Pastor Brian on Wednesday and, and said, "Hey, we're you know we're coming in. We had said we were going to um, be loved to share." And I said, "What what would we be able to do?" And he said, "Well, what would you like to do?" And I said, "Well, we we've got stories, uh, we've got things to share. You just let us know." Um, and he said, "Well, why don't why don't you take take the whole time? Why don't you um, take take the sermon time and, and share and and whatever's on your heart?" And so. Um, I said, oh, wow, okay. Um, I was very honored and humbled by that. Um, and I asked him, I said, well, what, what kind of time frame would I be looking at? And, and he said, oh, you know, whatever, whatever you need. And I thought, well, I, I'd like a little target to, to work with. And he said, I, you know, 40, 45, 50, you know, whatever you need. And so I thought to myself, you know, he must have a congregation of some of the most patient and loving and kind people um, for him to be able to just hand that out and say, you just go with whatever you need. Um, I will try to stay away from the 50 minutes. I will try to stay away from 40 minutes. Um, But there are some things that um, I think God has put on my heart to share this morning. Um, But before we start, I'd I'd love to just pray and start that time as we look in his word together. Lord, we just pray this morning um, that there would be nothing of man's voice, nothing of my voice, nothing of Chris that would um, be proclaimed this morning. We come and we gather as followers of Jesus because we expect you to be here. And we look for you, and I pray this morning that as we hear your word and as we examine our lives, that we would look for you, that your spirit would be working and moving this morning, whether it be in this room or in a living room. I pray, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would be something that we search out this morning to live our lives aligned with you. And I pray that you would let only your words be heard this morning. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as I began to think about what I wanted to share and I was praying, I I came up with um, a a little statement that I thought this is what I would love to see happen. This is what I would love to see occur. And probably for the the first part of this, I'm going to stick a little closer to my notes and I might be reading some. Most of that is for the sake of time. I want to get through this first part so I can share, maybe come off script a little more with some stories. Um, But I'm going to read what I wrote uh, as I was praying and thinking about this time. Um, my desired outcome from this time together this morning is that there would be those among us that would ruthlessly evaluate their lives. Sacrifices would be made to follow Jesus' prayer, and more laborers would be sent into the harvest. And this would result in seeing God's glory increasing in our lifetimes. So really light stuff this morning. Um, I'm going to read it one more time. Um, the outcome together this morning would be that there are those among us that would ruthlessly evaluate their lives. Sacrifices would be made to follow Jesus' prayer that more laborers would be sent out into the harvest. And this would result in us seeing God's glory increasing in our lifetimes. So I'm going to, I'm going to break that into three sections. Ruthless evaluation, great sacrifices, and God's glory. And I'm going to highlight and walk through those three things today. Um, Before we begin, I think it's important to answer the question, why should I engage in the activity and engage the time to evaluate my life? The famous Greek philosopher Socrates said, the unexamined life is a life not worth living. He said this at his trial where he was on trial for corrupting the youth of his city, for questioning the beliefs of that time. And and he said uh, this this powerful statement that I think um, is really true. An unexamined life is not worth living. And plus, I think the stakes are just that high for us. We all want the trajectory of our lives to be on target for what Jesus says is important. And I think... The Christian life is one that is constantly and ruthlessly evaluated and reevaluated. But if we're going to evaluate, we need something to evaluate against, right? We can't just say, I'm going to check in and see how I'm doing in life, and then just review and recount. And we would just be gazing at our lives. There was no evaluation without a set or a mark. So we need a framework. Another way to put this is, you don't buy a deer rifle and take it straight out to the blind and go on your deer hunt, right? You have to take that deer rifle, you have to take it out to the gun range, you have to look down the range, <coughs> oh, two clicks to the right, and what do you need to do that? You need a target to know where I missed the mark. So. This morning, as we look at ruthless evaluation in our lives, I think ruthless, I like that word. Um, It kind of notes that we should be willing to throw off all things and just be um, sort of reckless in the way that we follow after these things. So I'm going to look at three targets for us to hold up to evaluate. And I would say these are kind of big guns of targets that Jesus sets for us. There are many more. The Christian life is one that we will pursue and try to live out, um, aligning and evaluating constantly to see how we're, how we're following Jesus. But these are three big ones. The first one I'm going to read from John 15, the famous abiding passage, verse 4 through 8. John 15:4 through 8. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to bear fruit. I don't want to be about nothing. I want the trajectory of my life to be fruit-bearing. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Scripture, in our lives, in our hearts, God's word, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love this abiding passage and how clearly Jesus sets up, how are we known as disciples of Jesus? Because we have fruit. Not we've got a little bit of fruit. We will bear much fruit. I think this is a target that we can ruthlessly evaluate our lives in. There is a pitfall here. Do not evaluate someone else's fruit. We can only look at our own. We're asking for ruthless evaluation of our own lives. But I love that it makes it very clear, those that are followers of Jesus, that are his disciples, show that by bearing much fruit. As you sight in on that target, does your life have much fruit in Jesus? John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. We love Jesus. Do we obey all of his commands? Well, we are broken and sinful people, but do we strive for that? So as we look at that as a target, okay, if I love Jesus, I'm going to obey all of these commands. Which then takes me to this great command that he gives, this We call it the commission, the great commission. As someone who is of importance, they give their last words and they're gone. Those are words you probably want to listen to. But this is a command. And so if we love him, we will obey his command. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and commanding them to obey all that I have commanded. And I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. We hold that target up. Do we have disciples in our lives that we're making? This is not something that Jesus says to us. Go and do your best and teach people that I exist. This is a command for all of us that want to bear much fruit. So a few targets here. And Lauren shared earlier about some of the global statistics, and so did Brian. There are 7,042 uniquely individual groups of people that are still unreached with the gospel in the world. And Jesus has given us this target as we evaluate our lives Go and make disciples. This is our task. I think it's very clear. This is our command. If we do this, there will be sacrifice of hopes and dreams that we have. It is a part of what Jesus says will be a part of our life in following him. Um, so, in the second part of what I'll share about, about great sacrifice. I want to share a few stories of people that I think really are my heroes in a lot of ways. Um, I I don't want to stand up here and tell you, oh, this is how we've sacrificed. I I can truly say to you that we feel like our sacrifices have been minimal in comparison to some of those that we get to work with as well. So this first couple here, um, we get to work with them. Uh, We love them a ton. I'm going to use their initials, and it's going to be maybe weird. I wish I could show you on a map and tell you everything about them, but because of the security, uh, I can't. But this is K. I'll say his initial. That's the husband is K, and the wife is R. Okay? Um, I actually knew K first, and then I played matchmaker and got them hooked up together. So I've got that going for me. Um, K is a lawyer, and R is a dentist. And R is from a well-to-do family in our country. And her family, when they got married, said, we have an extra house, here is a car, and I have a job lined up for you if you will come back and live and be with us here in the city. And K and R were looking at these targets. They were ruthlessly evaluating their lives. They were looking at the commands of Jesus, and they were asking him, what do you want us to do? And they couldn't in good faith say, we will do these things, because Jesus had asked them, the Spirit was moving them to go out and to go to a place. And so they went through sacrifice. I watched it with them. And they had to tell family and weep and say, we're sorry. And there was disappointment and there was misunderstanding. And they went to a small little island where it is hostile for Christians to live. And they're raising two babies right now there and it was hard for them to find a house to rent because when someone would ask them are you a Christian and they would say we follow Isa Al Masi or Jesus and no one would rent to them there was sacrifice and and challenge the next couple um, I will refer to them as D and F D is the husband and F is the wife Um, They did not go, but they stood before Jesus as they aligned and looked at their targets and they said, what are we to do? They met in seminary. They were on a trajectory to lead a church, to have the stability in in the country that we serve in of people taking care of them and a pension and a good life. And they said, this isn't what Jesus is asking us to do. There are people the next island over that will live, raise families, and die and never hear of Jesus. So they made a choice to not pursue becoming pastors. They gave up security. They gave up pensions. They gave up those things. And at the beginning, I can tell you, they, they agreed to live on $50 a month and try to figure it out. And I know some of us, we think, well, you know, $50 a month in other countries, it goes a lot farther. I'm telling you, it doesn't go that far, okay? And they are making sacrifices because they've evaluated ruthlessly their life against the commands. Uh, One more couple. Again, these are some of my dearest, dearest friends, and they're my heroes. This is A is the husband and M is the wife. A was the top of his class at medical school. He has an older brother and a sister that are specialist doctors that are revered in our province. He had connections and means to get into just about any hospital and work a great job. His wife is also a doctor. They began to look at these commands of Christ and look at the realities of the situation in their country and they said, we, we can't follow the trajectory of everyone else. We want to evaluate ruthlessly and make sacrifices. And so I can tell you that uh, my friend A, he has given up scholarships. He has given up opportunities for continuing education to become uh, a good, a well-known and, and successful specialist doctor, so that they have more time to follow up and care for and equip those that are being sent out with this group he work with. He intentionally took a job that had low pay but free time so that he can give most of his week to equipping and training and sending people out. These are my heroes. Sacrifice and hardships and trial, I believe, are part of the gospel moving forward. I want to read from Matthew 24. I'm going to start in verse 4. Matthew 24, verse 4, I'm going to read through 14. Jesus is talking about some of the hard things that will occur. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and he will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars and tweets of wars and posts of wars. I added that. But see to it that you are not alarmed. We are called to not be alarmed. Not be alarmists, but be full of peace. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, tampering with elections and hacking servers. I added that as well. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And I think in that all nations, probably your own nation. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. These are the words of Jesus. And I think as I, I read this, Jesus is not saying that we need to seek For better avenues. We need to seek for peaceful times. Though there are times to pray for peace, don't get me wrong. But I think what he's saying is in the middle of all these terrible things that he just described, these hardships, these persecutions, that this is the scene in which the gospel will go out. I don't think he's saying that these things will happen and Then maybe the God, in spite of these hardships, in the middle of these hardships, do not be alarmed. And it doesn't take too much convincing for any of us to say there is uncertainty in our world, there is calamity, there is pain and suffering, and I think in the midst of that, the gospel will be going out. So we ruthlessly evaluate our lives, holding up as targets, Christ's commands. We stand before Jesus with our hearts laid open and our, and our surrendered hands willing to sacrifice because that's what it takes for the kingdom to be advanced. But why are people doing this? Why are my friends? Why are there those that are sacrificing and doing it? What core values do they hold? And I think it's rooted in the glory of God increasing a love for God in a faithful pursuit of following Jesus. The shorter Westminster Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what does it mean when I say we could see God's glory increasing in our lifetimes? Okay, that's a finite, limited amount. How can we directly be involved in the glory of God increasing? For me, I think... If man's chief end is to glorify God, and there are those that don't know God, if we introduce them to the loving God and following Jesus, they will glorify him, and in turn, glory will be given to him. It seems like a simple numbers game to me. Um, And I think in the glory of God sector, I want to share with you, there is this swelling crescendo happening globally right now. And I don't see a peak. I think it's growing, and it will continue to grow. And God is rapidly doing some incredible and exciting new things. What we are attempting to do in our corner of the globe, where God has called us to serve, and many, many others in other hard parts of the world, is to see church planting movements. And I want to share a story to maybe break that down a little bit to you. Church planting movements. Um, I'll start the story with uh, that first picture, that first couple, Ka that I set up and got married. Um, They're living on that island. They met a college student, and to keep a a long story, probably it'll get longer. Um, My wife's probably down there going, hey, come on. Um, They met him and began to talk about spiritual things with him and look at scripture, and he said, hey, you know what? My uncle is somebody who wants to talk about these things. You should go and talk to him. So Kay said, that's what I'm here to do. And he took the long journey, and this is where the gospel is sometimes limited by geographical barriers. It took him a 45-minute boat ride, and then a four-hour car ride, and then another four-hour boat ride, and then another two-hour ride in the back of a truck to get to this doorstep. And when he got there, he asked, where's this house? And said, oh, everybody knows him. Mr. A lives over there. He's the most revered spiritist in our community. So in their animistic and and Muslim mixed practices, this guy was practicing, um, I mean, a, a translation would be dark magic. He's practicing, you know, giving people mantras and spells and casting curses on other households. And Kay goes, well, maybe I should think this through before I go knock on his door. And so he actually spends the night, he prays, the Lord says, go and do it. He knocks on their door, meets him, they share. He says, I'm so glad you're here. My wife and I have each had dreams of a man in white coming and telling us to follow him. And we want to know more about who Isa al-Masi is. So Kay says, great. And he shares with them. And the little bit of time that they had, it became clear, let's do it in a a more involved way. So this family, Mr. A, picks up his wife, his three daughters, his two sons, and they take that long journey back to the island that Kay lives on. And for a month last June... They live together, and they walk through Scripture in a way where they were looking at it. They read the story. They retell the story. They all share actively in a group. What are we learning about God? What are we learning about man? How do we apply this to our lives, and what are we obedient to, and who do we need to share it with? That pattern, every time they read Scripture... And they walk through the Old Testament stories and, and uncover that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And they walk in through the stories of Jesus and they begin to see who he is and his power over nature and his power over sickness. And, and at the end of it, this family says, we want to follow. And they're baptized. So now you have a first generation house church of this people group that is 100% Muslim, not 99.9. There are zero known followers in this people group that this family's from. And so now you have a first house church. The vision is that they will go back and they will reproduce. So Cornia sends them back and he says, here you are. They get back to their place. Well, Mr. A, in his previous life, as we all do, we struggle with sin in our hearts and we fight and we battle against it. He was a prominent person. He was prideful. People came to him and he said, Here's what you need, and I'm the power, and I have the authority. But as Jesus began to get in his life, it butted up against it. A life of humility. It's hard to release those things, right? We all experience that. And it looked as if this first house church in this place was gonna come unglued and it was gonna dissolve. And fast forward, well, and Kay was going there monthly. Checking in on them, well, March happened. The lockdown of the global, the entire world was locked down and he lost contact with them for a while. And truth be told, Kay was sharing with me, he was frustrated. They're a mess. I'm not sure how the Lord is going to use it. But there's people out there that are trying to follow Jesus. A week before, Lauren and I flew back to the U.S. uh, the end of June, which is a whole crazy story in itself, Um, we get word that, Three of Mr. A's children have been sharing, and they have started a study group, and they have baptized four people in their community. And they have started, that's right, and they have started a second generation group that is slowly becoming a second house church in their community. And the vision is that those disciples will make a house church that will share and make more disciples And there will be another house church. And we'll see generational growth in that. And the terminology that we use is after it's gone to a fourth generation, it is classified as a movement. Okay? And basically what that means is the church planter who started it is no longer the one driving it. It is driving itself and it will continue to reproduce into multi-generations. And God is doing that. And I want to share some things with you to say... You got to get involved. You got to be a part of it. This is, these movements, these kingdom movements are happening globally. Um, Two years ago, there was a a network that was formed of various mission organizations, various um, global leaders in the the mission world um, that just basically said, we've got to throw aside our differences and we've got to press in for this goal. And they began seeking to, to see these reproducing house churches um, put in and, and pe- people that are doing this strategy in, in parts of the globe. Um, and in, in the, the statistics that are out there in, in 95, and part of this is because there just wasn't anybody gathering data in this realm. But in 1995, there were about six known movements globally where those reproducing disciples had reproduced disciples that had reproduced churches and reproducing churches. Um, and since, since then, and the, the, um, the current statistics um, with greater reporting and greater effort and focus on this, is that globally and in hard places, some of the, the biggest places where these movements are happening, Iraq, Iran, uh, India, hard, hard places. There are, as of May 2020, according to this 2414 network that's been formed, 1,369 movements happening globally. I'll say that again 1,369 movements happening globally. That wraps in 76.9 million believers. People that have said, at one time or another, they, they, these, these are not people that grew up with a Christian background in most cases. Some are. There are actually a few movements occurring in the United States. Um, but most cases, people that grew up with a different world religion. 76.9 million. 4.8 million house churches. On average, in one of these movements, there are 56,000 people that have committed to follow Jesus. And the average house church size is 16 people. I share this with you this morning because I've, I've said to us, evaluate your life with ruthlessness. Stand before Jesus with heart open and hands open and say, what hopes and dreams do you want me to offer to you to see this happen? And let's work to see the glory of God increasing in our lifetimes. And I share these statistics because they, they, they wake me up in the morning. And, and uh, the phrase I like to say, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood must be wet, you know? These are the things that our God is doing. I don't want to stand up here, though, with the message that the person who came from overseas would stand here and say that it is a more honorable task to go than to stay, and that there's somehow more credit or honor given. I, I truly, 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 truly don't believe that. The reality is that for each one of us obedience is the important factor. I can't tell you what Jesus is calling you to do. I can't be the Spirit's work in your life. But I do want this morning to call us to ask. My wife and I have a favorite quote. It's from John Piper. Uh, He's got... Uh, A lot of great quotes, but this is one of our favorite. He says, go, send, or disobey. The Great Commission leaves no other option for us. Go, send, or disobey. Those three friends of mine that I shared their stories, one went, two stayed, but they made drastic sacrifices in their lives to be a part. Of what God is doing globally. So I would close with this. I've got one more slide here. There are a few resources. We are a media-consuming culture. Um, there are some really great videos at both 2414now.net and beyond.org. Beyond is the sending organization that my wife and I are with. Um, there are some great Articles, but a lot of great videos to watch. If maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, I really didn't know much about that. I want to I learn more. I want to know more. I want to find out. Um, knowledge is power, right? So consume some of these things and, and learn more. But what I want to challenge us all this morning is to just stand before Jesus and to ask. And, and, and this week, I want all of us, to maybe say to somebody, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend this week and I'm going to do that. I'm going to ask. And it might be terrifying and the Lord might give you an answer that you don't want to hear. He might give you something that you do want to hear and it's exciting to you. But whether you're sitting here, maybe you came with somebody and you say, hey, we got to talk about this on the drive home. We need, we need a deadline of when we're going to ask and, and talk about this. Maybe in your living room right now, you're saying, hey, you need to ask me on Friday. Uh, if, I, if I stood before Jesus and asked the Holy Spirit what it means to be involved in this. It might be going, it might be sending, it might be praying for somebody, it might be calling and saying, hey, I know you're far away, but I'm praying for you and I love you and I'm emotionally invested with you. I don't know what it is, but we can't know unless we ask. Our email is up there. Um, That's an option for you as well. If you'd like to email us, maybe you want to say, hey, just a short email and say, we want to be on your newsletter. We try monthly to send something out, giving you updates of what's going on. Um, Or maybe you're going, hey, before you ever got up on stage, the spirit has been pulling on my heart and I need to figure out what it might mean to go. We would love to have conversations with you about that. We have opportunities in the country we're serving in. Some of these stories, you could be a part of these people's lives. So reach out to us. And also, um, Sean, Pastor Sean, the mission pastor here, he's somebody that you can reach out with. Lauren said this before as well. Um, been an encouragement to us in emails and checking on us. Um, if You don't want to email us, or you, that's fine. Um, if the Spirit speaks to you this week, don't wait jump out, reach out with somebody, whether it's us, whether it's Pastor Brian, whether it's uh, Sean. So I would encourage you this week, find somebody to be accountable to, to stand before Jesus and ask, how am I to be involved? Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you are gracious and patient and kind to us. You are gentle with us. So often, we are stubborn and we walk in the direction um, that you are not. And I pray this morning that we would ruthlessly evaluate our lives looking at the scripture, looking at what you have said is important and that we would at least be bold enough to ask the question. Jesus, I pray that as your spirit has stirred and moved this morning, that you would be gentle and gracious for all the areas where there may be fear, maybe doubt. Be our good and faithful God that covers over our doubt and our fear and puts peace in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus that there is no greater joy on this earth than the joy of being obedient. I can't imagine anything being more delightful to our souls than hearing the voice of Jesus say, well done, you have been obedient. Let that be on our minds, be on our hearts, be on the conversations that we have this week and we would engage with what you are doing, and it would excite us and grow a fire and a passion within us. I pray that as we leave here this morning, that we would um, just be curious, be grown to ways of, of searching out what you're doing. We'd be encouraged and built up as a body of Christ. Go with us today. Keep us in your hands and always... That we would be humbly serving you. We pray this in the power and the authority of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you so much. Turn me on there, boys and girls. Thank you so much, Chris and Lord. I appreciate those guys. I want you to do something. I want you to go to our website, TLC Live? We have a web page on there, a page that is our missions page. And, uh, of course, our missions pastor, Sean, stand up and wave. Y'all. I know you know who Sean is. He's our missions pastor. He's done a tremendous job of coordinating and helping us. You need to go on there. I want you to get their monthly uh, newsletter. It's, it's well done. I mean, you teach techno at a university. You know how to do this stuff. It's very good. It, it blesses your heart. I want you to get Samaritan's Purse monthly uh, newsletter. I got theirs yesterday and was shocked. They talked about planting a church. They just started a church in Ruby, Alaska population 42, you can't get there. I mean, you just cannot get there. Airplanes can't get in there. There are no roads. you got to go by boat. And you can only get there six months out of the year. And one of the guys who leads our security down see him. he is from Ruby, Alaska. So I said, congratulations. We'll help you get that thing going. And uh, Life Outreach, you need to get these every month. You need to see what God's doing. You know what you've heard today? This is a part of what we need to be doing. And then I want you to pray this week. I want you to pray two prayers. Number one. What part do you want me to have in the most important thing going on on this planet right now? But Tell me anything on this planet that's more important that the gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. Mm -hmm. Just ask God, what part do you want me to, not not my church, we know what we're going to do. What do you want me to do? And I like what he said, you going to go, you going to send or you going to disobey. That's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) If you didn't know it, that's pretty good right there. I wanted to go so bad. I wanted to go to some foreign corner of the world somewhere and preach the gospel. And he said, nope, you're going to be a sender. You're going to stay here and be a sender. So I'm where I'm supposed to be. But I wanted to go so bad. And I want you to pray two things. What part you want me to play? Is it to pray for people? God will direct your heart toward one particular ministry. I mean, your, your heart will just melt mm-hmm. over that ministry. That's him saying, get involved with them and love them and cheer for them. Do you know how important it is for the missionaries there to hear from you? An email of, I love you, I'm cheering for you. Tell me how to pray for you. Everybody here needs to be a part of something going on over there. And I want you to pray this. Do you want me to abandon everything I've got and just pack up and go? Mm. Just pack up and go. I, I told you Jennifer was finishing her PhD at NC State. God said, get up and go now. And it totally 180'd her life. You say, well, Everybody that's there was like you at one time. If you want to do anything, you need missions. I want you to call Sean. If you say, God sent me, he wants me to go there. We'll help you. We'll provide for you. We'll get you there. I would, nothing would thrill my heart more than for the doors of this church to be open. And people go all over the world and preach the gospel. And one moment after Jesus gets back, you're going to say that was the only important thing going on in the earth. And I love this stuff. I'm a missions pastor. That's my deal. I love this stuff. Pray this week. What do you want me to do? And ask him. I dare you to ask him. Do you want me to pack up and go? Sell everything. Just pack up and go. And uh, you can contact Sean if you need anything. But let's be a part of what he's doing in the earth. All righty. Jesus is coming back one day. I want to make an announcement. After the Titanic has hit the iceberg... The band didn't matter. The what kind of food was there didn't matter. Who had the top deck? Who had the low deck? Didn't matter. But one thing mattered. What was that? Get the people in the lifeboat. Women, children, preachers first. Get them in that lifeboat. <laughs> Let me make an announcement about this planet. It has hit the iceberg. What does it matter who's got the steering wheel if Titanic's written on the fantail? Get the people in the lifeboat. That's what we live for. I just have so much fun, but I'm done. God bless you. I want you to have a great week. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Reorient our lives ruthlessly, drastically. You're coming back one day. And the moment you get back, what we thought was so important will be embarrassing. And what you were doing in the earth will be the only thing worth living for. This gospel is worth everything. It really is. We bless the uh, Chris and Lauren in the precious name of Jesus with peace and encouragement and safety and wisdom and guts and grace and the precious Holy Spirit to change their world in that corner you've assigned them to. Stretch their vision. Millions and millions and millions of people. Show them how to do it. I trust you for that. Thank you for the people you've connected us to. You told me 22 years ago you'd do this. We're so grateful for this. Stretch us out as a church to give more and more and more and consume less and less and less here. I trust you for that. Thank you so much that the Son of God packed up and moved to a hostile place so I could be saved. We give you all the praise and glory. In the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen.